0: Are you ready to do this? Lord, let me just pray real quick. Father, we ask, we ask, Lord, that you will speak. We didn't come here to hear from uh, an old broken-down golf pro. We did not come here to uh, just see our friends, though that is a beautiful part of coming together on a Sunday morning. Lord, I think um, pretty much everybody here, myself included, is anxious to hear what you want to say to your people through your word. Which you say is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide amazingly soul and spirit, all the way down to the very inward parts of our nature, Lord. That's that's a powerful claim and, and yet it's been seen for thousands of years, two thousand years to be true over and over and over again. So Lord. Do your work in us, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, so we st- we, we've been working on this series, not a series, we've been working on this uh, little thing called uh, The Times and Seasons of Our Lives. I've had a lot of feedback, and I think the executive team and the other pastors have too as well. There's been a lot of feedback that this has impacted you. I've heard so many times people come up to me and say, you were speaking just to me. I mean, I don't know if anybody else was in that room. That's what the Lord's word can do in a very profound way, but we started this a couple weeks ago as it relates to David, and I want to get deeper into David's life so that we can have a character sketch, if you will, a template for what these uh, flaws were in David, and they were many, and yet he was a man after God's own heart, and try to understand and bring that down to application for you. You know, if it's never applied, then it's just knowledge, It's just knowledge. It never becomes wisdom in your life until it becomes applied to your life. And that means you making some volitional decisions to be different. And maybe just being here is a huge volitional decision for some of you to have made, even to come here this morning. So, well done. All right, so here we go. We finished last week. We were looking here at uh, this Goliath thing, and I told you I was concerned last week because when you get into David Goliath, people's eyes kind of roll back. If you've been in church a long time, you've heard it. And even if not, I, you know, David and Goliath, everybody talks about it. It's kind of this hackneyed cliche of the giant beaters and all that. And you can apply that in some ways to pretty much everything. And, and yet we're going to apply it specifically to the spiritual context in which David finds himself. And we finished last week where he went down and after having been anointed king... So the season, there was a picture, a vision. He was given into the future, and after he was anointed king, he went back out to the sheep. He'd already been anointed king in front of all of his brothers, and then he gets called back to be with the sheep. A lot of times what God will do, and this is where we finished last week, God will give you a vision. He'll put something in your heart that's distinctively his vision, and it will replace oftentimes or at least supplement in a very significant way, which changes the context of a vision that you may have had for a long time. In other words, if you were a golf pro, he may continue to use your golf for the purposes that he has in your life. And I know in this in this group and in a valley like this, I look around, There's I see a bunch of golf pros out there, either ex-golf pros or current golf pros or aspiring tour players. And he may take golf, and he may not move you out of golf, but he then may change. But you have a vision somewhere about golf, and then God may come in and then use that as then a platform and that's what happened a couple of weeks ago, for instance, when I was at the Phoenix Open. You know, we had 1,500 people come, not to hear me, but to hear these tour players come and just talk about their life and have an opportunity to share their faith. So God can do that in your life. Well, that happened. He got the vision, but he got no real details filled in yet. He was back out with the sheep. And then he had the his dad, after seeing this happen... His dad said, well, go and take a bunch of cheese to your brothers. And I said, now think about that. Sometimes God calls you to do things something very grand. It's very exciting. We see this also in the life of Joseph. But then what happens? Well, you know, then Joseph gets thrown in prison. His brothers, you know, deny him and all this other thing goes on. So, as a function of that, we see that God will give you a vision and then he'll put you back out to pasture for a season. So he wants to prepare you for the season and the vision that he has for your life. A lot of people say, well, I'm too old or I'm too young. Let me tell you something. You're never too old or too young to be in a season. It could be a preparation season, an execution season. It could be whatever it is. But God has something for you. And again, that goes all the way back to the beginning of this, which is there a plan for your life? Or is it just random and chaos? Is there a plan? And if you believe there's a plan, then you want to be part of the plan that God has for your life so he took him cheese and that's where he finished it here in verse 20 of 1st Samuel chapter 17 if you have your bibles it says so david arose early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper we talked about that he was still being faithful took the cheese the supplies and all the other stuff that his dad had told him to take to the front line and when, as Jesse had commanded him, in other words, he was learning obedience and he did already have an obedient heart. Hey, look, you, if you don't have an obedient heart, it's hard for you to get past step one with God. How is God ever going to give you instruction on what he wants you to do with your life if you're not going to respond to his instruction? Think about that for a minute. Well, I see a lot of people all the time, I don't know, I'm waiting for God to bless me, I'm waiting for God to do something in my life, I'm waiting, and God's still back at the, you know, maybe very early stages of your own maturation process, and He may just be saying, I'm just waiting for you to obey the thing that I told you to do 10 years ago. You know, you're still, you still don't even have a heart of generosity. You're still not a, you're not a giving person. I mean, I, I told you to do that with your spouse years ago, and yet you've gotten worse. Or I've, I've, I've asked you to do some of these things, and you're still not obedient, and you're, you're still way back. You may have been going to church for a long time, but you're still in the very early stages of your maturation process because you're just not obedient. And I don't find you faithful. I'm waiting for you. I still love you. But I'm waiting for increasing levels of obedience. And this was just indicative of David's heart. I mean, his dad told him, he was anointed king. His dad says, go take the cheese. He's says, all right, here I go. And he's faithful in the process. So it says, and he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of a baggage keeper and ran in the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, Was Now, catch this, coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. Now, it's important to say, and this is a little bit speculative, but there are some theologians that believe if you go all the way back to the early stages of the chapter, it says when the champion came out, but now it says the champion is coming up. What relevance is that? Well, if you'll remember the stage, they were in the valley of Elah and and it was a valley and then there was a mountain uh, range over here and a mountain range over here and both the armies were camped on the mountains so that they would come out into the battlefield. But in this case, some theologians believe that Goliath may have not only just come out into the valley, but may have actually been starting to come up the mountain where Israel was. Some theologians believe that's true. I can't Actually, verify that for sure, but some theologians think he might have actually started the slow ascent to where Israel was. What story does that have? What relevance does that have? Well, there's some Goliaths in your life that, even if you say, Well, I'm not going to go battle them, they may actually bring the battle right to you. There's some things in life you simply cannot avoid. There are Goliaths in your life that you simply cannot avoid. They will come to you even if you feel like, well, I don't want to enter into that, trust me, eventually some of these issues in your life will find you out. There's just nothing you can do to separate yourself from the Goliaths through your entire life. You will always confront issues, problems, things that tend to want to bring you down, things that want to make your whole life collapse. You know, you didn't necessarily go out into the valley to when you got that cancer diagnosis, did you? It actually came up to where you were. And some of those things I think that's relevant for us. Uh, Goliath was not actually coming up now, just not just coming out. He was coming up to where they were. And he came out, he came up from the army of the Philistines and he spoke these words and then David heard them. Catch this. When all the men of Israel saw the man. Remember we now just it's important back then they had representative battle. We talked about this last week. So rather than two armies going to battle, sometimes one army would pick one guy and the other guy would pick another guy and they'd come and whoever won, then they'd be servants to the, other, to the others. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Your whole future rested on your one man. When the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. What a response, you know. Here, supposedly, ostensibly, this was, this was, these were the Israelites. Their God had seen them through Right, all right through the Red Sea, collapse the Egyptian army, the greatest, the greatest entity on the face of the planet, the great Pharaohs. They had heard all the stories. They had heard all the stories about going through the wilderness and the provision of manna. And now they they're here, and they just collapse in fear. Have you ever had that? Have you said like, I I worship God, I serve God, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian, and then you just collapse in fear, and you just this is what was happening with the nation of Israel. It says the men of Israel said. Have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel and it would be that the, ki- the and it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in the land. And do you know what you know what relevance that is? No more taxes. Sound like Bush, don't I? No more taxes. Your, your, your place is free for the rest of your life, and you get to marry my beautiful daughter, and you, gonna, you're going to be enriched. They're going to give you all this money, and they still were collapsing in fear. It didn't matter. I mean, who can fight this guy? We saw last week, nine feet, nine inches tall. Are you kidding me? Then David, that's huge right there, then David. It was the end of the rope. I mean, they were going to become servants of the Philistines, then David, I'm going to ask you a question. What has there been in your life that you could write into the script and the narrative of your life where it would then say, then, and you put your name in there? But for me stepping in at that point where everybody else was terrified and I acted in obedience, even at great self-sacrifice and potentially even the loss of my life, And it could be financial or social, standing or whatever, and yet I stood in and then, and you put your name in there. See, that is a motivator. And I'm telling you what, man, there's got to be more motivation for you than just coming out here and playing golf and going to dinner. Please tell me. There is something more in your soul that you long to accomplish other than just coming to the Palm Springs greater area and just having one more nice dinner. Please tell me there's something in your soul that drives you to fill in then Mike or then John or women as well, then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, Well, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this? Now catch this language. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That he should taunt the armies of the living God. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Don't you realize who we serve? How did David know that? Well, we're going to see here a little bit later. See, he had personally experienced the God of Abraham, Isaac, Isaac, and Jacob, you have to realize that David is living a thousand years after his forefather Abraham. Sometimes people think just biblical characters just emerge and they all kind of lived in one big, big city, and they all kind of went over and saw each other. A thousand years separated the forefather Abraham from David. Five hundred years from Moses. Moses lived 500 years before the time of David. David had heard these stories and encountered, personally encountered, personally encountered the God of his forefathers. Had he not, he'd have been like the rest of Israel. Eliab now, Eliab, his oldest brother. Now, do you realize how important that is, oldest brother? Who, was, who would have been in line in, Jewish, in the Jewish world? Who would have been in line for pretty much everything? Everything came to the firstborn son. I mean, your position and your birth order were everything. And can you imagine all the frustration and bitterness that Eliab had when he was there with his other six brothers and then David out in the field? And uh, here comes Samuel in and they anoint and Eliab's there and has to watch his youngest brother who's a nobody completely obscure be anointed by Samuel and he can't even sit down until David comes in from the field he's got to stand up remain standing until his brother comes in from the field you don't think that's been eating on Eliab well it's reflected here in his language that's why out of the heart the bible says out of the heart the mouth speaks you know what's going on in your heart tape record yourself all week You don't know what's going on in your heart? Tape record your conversations during the entire week. I think some of us would be astonished at what comes out of our mouth. You say, "Wow, I'd never realized. We can fool ourselves, but what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of your heart, which is your very core of who you are, your consciousness, your heart, your mind, your will, emotions, or your soul. It emanates right out of your soul. Eliab, his old, oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David. Is that that offensive? No, this had been festering for a long time. Have you ever had that in a personal relationship? Something goes, and it's just something small. Maybe men, you know? You know, aren't you going to take out the trash? Well, you know, I'm too tired. I'm watching the game. And then all of a sudden, this never ha- By the way, this does not happen in my house. I'm using this as an example my father-in-law actually takes out the garbage at our house because my mother-in-law and father-in-law live with us, and he's, he's just so, such a servant-hearted guy. He always takes out the trash. So this is not me and my wife. I'll just tell you, just, it, just an example. And, and maybe your wife just explodes. It's like, why, you know, and it's like, it's just trash. There's something more that's been going on here for a long time, and this has been festering in him, Eliab, for a long time, and he explodes, and his anger burned against David. And he said, "Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness?" And I'm going to get a few barbs in here in just a minute, right? You're nobody. You're out. You're out with the stinky sheep. You came down here with a, ten different kinds of cheese. I mean, who are you? Why are you asking these questions? And where are your piddly little sheep? Where are your sheep? Where are your sheep? You see what he's doing? He's trying to put him in his place. Let me tell you something, anytime God tells you to do something, there are going to be plenty of people to put you in your place. Even at the launch of this church, I can tell you, and I, I, I really have no hard feelings, but there were some things said across the valley and various things, who who did, who do they think they are starting a new church? I mean, wh- what gives them the right, I mean, really, who's what's the deal? I mean... Th- Look, do you think that's not ever going to happen? It's going to happen over and over and over and over again. But if God calls you to do something, you don't have a choice. Let me tell you something. If you begin to walk into the vision that God has for your life, at whatever stage it is for your life, you can anticipate, you can expect, and you can know for sure that there will be those who mock and ridicule you, even, maybe even in your own household. Just expect it. It's okay. And don't hold anything against them. It's the natural course. This is the template for following through with what God's told you to do. Where have you left those sheep in the wilderness? He says, I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. It goes beyond just mockery now. Now it goes into false accusation. David didn't come down here on his own volition. His father sent him. Now, what I find fascinating about the rest of this is it says, for you come down in order to see the battle. But David said, what have I even done now? Was it not just a question? I mean, but then here's the beauty of it. Catch this. Then he turned away from him. Now, why is that relevant? Because he didn't make a big defense. He didn't say, well, Dad told me to come down here, and I didn't want to come down here, and I'm back up here, and now I, I risk a lot coming down here, and that cheese was heavy. I mean, did he start all this big line of defense? No. He just turned away. Look, when God calls you to do something and someone mocks, ridicules, or falsely accuses you, do you just turn away? I'm telling you right now, this is a gem. This is a golden nugget. You know, when Proverbs talks about this, just the beauty, even more important than silver or gold, is the wisdom of the Lord. This is wisdom. If God calls you to do something, just do it. Expect that there will be some ramifications around you, maybe even from people you love. Just keep doing it. God will work it out in the end. Just turn away. Just turn away. Don't relax. Are you living for an audience of one? Are you living for an audience of 357,000 people on social media? Please tell me you're not trying to do... You're not a politician in the kingdom of God. You don't have to lick your finger and see where the winds are are flowing right now to see where the areas of political correctness are and where, you know, don't you hate all that vacillation and, and cultural shift all the time? Aren't you glad that we have something that is rock solid, that you don't have to deviate from, that you know your God lives and that Jesus is coming back? Don't you... Isn't that inspiring? Don't you love it? And you're not just awash in a culture that has meaningless thing after meaningless thing and and we lift it up as if it mattered. Aren't you glad that there is a rock? And you can just turn away from that. Just turn away from it. Just turn away. You may be in a situation right now. Let me just tell you. You feel like you want to respond to somebody. There's somebody that's accusing you falsely. Just turn away. Let the Lord be your defense. David did. That's powerful. He turned away from him to another and said the same thing, and the people answered, and they just said the same thing as before. Well, now we get into it. Now we get into it. This is going to get good. You ready? Hold on to your seats. I'm telling you, the next part of this is going to change some of your lives. It's going to release you from a, a mental health issue, and I will call it that. Okay, you ready? When the words of the, uh, which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. That's Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. That's just an absurd situation. It just is. The cheese carrier, the wandering shepherd, the youngest, the small guy. He was good looking, but he was small. Uh, Going to fight this guy? Who should it have been, as we said last week? should have been Saul. Saul would have been here. David would have been down here. And Saul should have been the one going to battle. Saul was just as terrified because Saul did not have a heart that was after the Lord. He says, I'll go. Let no, heart, no man's heart fail. Then Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. While well, he has been a warrior from his youth. Now, this is a, this is a true statement. Some people will present you, and they're good at it with facts. I'm going to give you the facts. You know, you can't teach that Bible study. You can't lead that rooted group. You can't be on the prayer team. You can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. And in some ways, they may have some facts. You've never led a rooted group before. You've never. You've never done this before. You. You've never served in this capacity. You've never. You can't go to your neighbor and and just. Tell them you love them and tell them that Jesus saved you, and, and even though they're in pain, they'll, they'll, they'll ridicule you. Or they'll ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. You can't do that. Look, the facts are the facts, and they're right. You can't do that. But see, David has a bizarre way to look at the world. It may be true that I would get wiped out. It may be true that this guy's been a warrior all his life. He's got a guy holding his shield just to hold his shield, and I don't even have a shield. This is an absurd, absurd situation. But see, David saw the world in such a unique way that he didn't see it as him versus Goliath. He saw it as God versus the Goliath. Do you see it that way, or do you you take count for what you have in the bank do you take account for where, you, how trained you are? Do you take account for all the things in your ledger? Or do you just see, do you see it uniquely as David saw it and saying, if God tells me to do it, it's me. No, it's not me. It's God in me versus whatever the situation is. If you see it that way, your whole life changes. Just the, his perspective just blows me. I remember reading these stories early after I came to the Lord and I remember this vividly and looking at this, and I said, oh, my gosh, he's right. This isn't me versus whatever. This is God versus whatever. That'll change everything in your life. did for David. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. He says, I went out after him. Now, notice the language here, and this is important because this is, this is going to be the crux of it Now, I went out. He did say, I went out. He didn't say God went out. He said, I went out. I went out after him and attacked him, and I rescued it from his mouth. That was a season of preparation. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard. I just love that. I just love that, man. I seized him by his beard, lion or bear, by his beard. Now, that's pretty intimate with your danger, isn't it? There's one thing to say I took a stone and I was at distance and I was up on a hill and I looked down into the valley and I, boy, I knocked him out. No, I I was so personal. It was so personal, this encounter that I had with these bears and these lions were trying to eat my sheep. I went up and grabbed him by the beard. Imagine the picture. See, God will put you so close to danger but you need it in your season of preparation if you're going to move into the fullness of what God's called you to do. You know, people say, I thought when I came became a Christian I wouldn't have problems. Let me tell you something. You're just going to view your problems differently. God has to put you in dangerous situations. You, there are times where you just have to get that phone call in the middle of the night. There are times when you just have to get that diagnosis or you have to be on the edge of financial uh, challenges. Or you have to be you have to get close to the danger, otherwise... You're not going to be prepared for the season that God has for you. God will put you in close proximity to danger often, but it is God who's doing it. Do you understand that? God is doing that. He is at least allowing it, depending on where your position on sovereignty is, or he's actually orchestrating these events where you're going to have to come and grab the danger by the beard. Grab that danger by the beard. He said, but remember, this is still first person. I struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them since he taunted the armies of the living God. In other words, since he set himself up against the purposes of God. Now, we know in this day, and I know, I, it's because I know we always have new people, look, this is not a template for us to go into a culture and fight physically with physical people. Our battle is no longer against physical people. We understand that. Our battle is against spiritual forces in heavenly places, as we saw last week. But then there's a reframing of this that is so powerful, and I want to talk about this for the rest of the morning. This is going to change some of your lives. Have I said that enough? Yes. And David said the Lord who delivered me. First he said, I did it, but it was the Lord who did it. Does that double speak? No. You're going to be the one who actually physically does X, Y, or Z. God's not going to come down and take on the f- form of a human flesh anymore and come out and do it and let you watch. He's going to enter you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. He's going to enter your body and your dirt and water is going to do it but it's going to be him that's doing it in you. See, David had to reframe that. He said, I did it, of course I did it, but it was the Lord who was doing it. And he didn't even have New Covenant language. Holy Spirit permanently dwelling on the inside of us like we have it now. I mean, this was pre-New Covenant. So we even have, we have more power, more unbelievable things going on if we receive Christ, repent, and and, baptize, and are baptized for the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit god can do things in you you couldn't even imagine what he can do in you and through your life you gotta have the heart of david the lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the bear and he will deliver me from the hand of this philistine now i want to talk about this something very profound that just happened here whether you are aware of it or not and i became more provoked in this i had a little bit of a a rift on this if you will that I was going to preach on. I, had, I was uh, gone all week. Uh, we had national staff meetings. you know, many of you know I'm still uh, acting president of Lynx. So, we all, we've got almost 250 groups around the country now, and a lot of these country clubs around the country. So we had our national staff, our regional directors come into Orange County, and we had this. And I attended with one of our regional directors uh, a, a Lynx fellowship, of which I teach and also uh, like to observe. And I went in. It was a young man that was there, and he had never taught before. It was at Mission Viejo Country Club, over in Irvine, and he had never taught before. And he brought a message, and it was about remembering. Now I had been thinking about remembering stones of remembrance. We're going to talk about that. And he talked about remembering. It was just an it was a kick in my seat to say no. I need to I need to unpack this a little bit more for church at the red door. As if it was as if the Lord was saying no. This needs to be unpacked more than what you were originally going to do and it just provoked in me and then I did a little devo with our regional guys and they were deeply and and our and we have one woman as well and they were deeply impacted by it and I want to share it with you this morning let me tell you something what David did is he said this is going to happen now because I remember what's happened in the past In other words, God's going to come through now not because I think the facts are in my corner or because uh, this happened or that happened. This is going to happen now for me or what God's called me to do is because I have seen this happen in the past. And that's why, by the way, I love having people on my team and our teams and all these teams that things have happened in the past so they have the faith to walk in and trust that God, well, he's done it before, he's going to do it again. See, that's what David is doing here. He has remembrance of things that God has done in the past. Now, there is a big difference, as I'm going to share with you, there's a big difference between that and sentimentalism. Be cautious. Well, first of all, you might ask, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, it talks about, I thought Paul said in his letter uh, to the Philippians, he said, forget what lies behind and press on. And now you're telling us to remember what is behind. Well, let's make a distinction in what we're remembering and what we're forgetting. Are you with me? Now let's talk, because this is going to impact your life. I had a buddy of mine. He was the very first pastor of the church after I had given my life to Jesus when I was at Rice University down in Houston. And uh, many of you know the story. He went on to Harvard Law School graduate, went on to be a Texas Supreme Court justice. He's the guy that led me to the Lord. And uh, he took me to this church after having led me to the Lord. He took me to this church, and I went in there. And it was a friend of mine, still to this day, is a friend of mine. And I remember him preaching on this very early on. And he talked about it. And he talked about he was driving down the road, and he was in his car. (coughs) And all of a sudden, this song came over. It was a secular song, it came over the radio. And he was a pastor, and it came over, and it just engulfed him. Have you ever had that happen with a smell or an old song or something, and you feel like you're just pulled right back somewhere in the past? Have you had that? That's why uh, these rock and rollers who get really old and kind of flabby, and, I mean, I don't care. If you've had a few hit songs, you can be 95, and you can be out there, you you know, going on the stage, but people are trying to relive and recapture, even though it doesn't sound anything like when they were 20. And on tour, they're trying to recapture that feeling that they had. And that's why we have 60s music and 70s music and 80s music and 90s stations. Because whenever you kind of came of age, I'd say that age range from about 15 to about 20, you're looking for those old feelings. Sentimentalism. Take me back where times were good. Please. So the song comes over the radio. He almost has to pull over to the side of the road. It just overwhelms him, because he grew up in a little little tiny place called Macomb, Mississippi. Macomb, Mississippi. Macomb had one golf course, and it was a little golf course. And they had a chain link fence around the pool, the swimming pool out there, you know. And it, you know, of course, all young guys that get over there and play nine, they'd turn, make the turn, get a hot dog, and go over there and look and see who was at the pool. See if it was Mrs. Mr. Mr. And Mrs. Smith's daughter, or whatever, or somebody. They'd scope out, and you could smell it—the copper tone. You know, you could smell that whole that whole thing just engulfed him, and he was listening to this song, and he was right back there. Now let me tell you something. When you've got now the charge of a family, and he had some kids now, and and ministry obligations, and all these kinds of things, wouldn't it be? Does you, do you allow your mind to wander back to those? good times, when you want to avoid all the things that are confronting you now. Sentimentalism. You know what's really bizarre? He decided he wanted to, he realized the Lord spoke to him and said, this is just base sentimentalism. Be cautious. Don't remember. Those are the things you want to forget. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in here that This thought, you'll be going along fine, and then all of a sudden this thought of a former love, wow, maybe I should have married, you know, Bob. Maybe you should have married Susie, and that thought begins to fester in you because maybe your marriage is not going as great as it is, and you think back about, oh, that was my first love, that was my soulmate, and boy, if I could go back there, then everything would be solved. Boy, I made a huge mistake, and you live in a self-imposed prison for the rest of your life. Thinking about Bob or Sue or whoever it might have been, or if I would have taken that job offer rather than this job, or if I'd have moved to that place rather than this place, if I had just and you go into a deep place of despair. Listen to what King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 10. He says essentially this it's not wise to think about the things in the past. Do we have that, Ecclesiastes? Do not say, "Why is it that the former days were better than these?" It's not wise when you do that. You don't ask that from wisdom. Why were why were the good old days? Let me tell you something. Uh, and I I'm, I see this happen at clubs, country clubs, and different places all over the place. And that just because that's been kind of where I've. Hung my hat, so I don't have. Those, that's usually where. I, and they go in and just talking about the good old days. Oh, back in the fifties. If you knew how it was in the fifties. Oh, if we could just go back. But but now it's just horrible. Everything's bad, and you live in the past. It's, do you realize there's no wisdom in that? What you're saying is that God somehow was in the past, but he's not in the. He's not now. Be really, really cautious. Numbers chapter eleven, verse four through six. This is exactly what happened. They'd gone through their baptism through the Red Sea. We know that's a corollary there. Gone through their baptism, gone into the wilderness, and it didn't take long. And listen to what they said. All the rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish, which we used to eat free in Egypt, and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all except for this pathetic manna. That wasn't wise. See, we have something uh, psychologists call selective memory. You know that? Well, why would you break up with Bob in the first place? Well, he left me. He dumped me. And you want to be back with him? Why did that not happen? Well, of course, uh, because we believe in the sovereignty of God, be cautious because God's moved you to where you are. Why are you seeking to leave a, leave someone that maybe God put in your life for a purpose? It's not it's not wisdom, and you'll get caught in the in the sentimentalism of the past, trying to relive. If you ever know, uh, I spent a little time. I never went to high school there, but my brother and sister did. Uh, this Friday Night Lights. Have you seen this? They had a movie, and then they had a big. Uh, they had a whole television show, and this is about really Texas football, high school football, any particular high school that's called Permian in Odessa, Texas. And these, this is Mojo, Mojo. And they would pack out stadiums. These, these young high school kids would come out, and they would pack out stadiums. I'm talking 25,000 people in a stadium to watch a high school football game, standing room only. Welcome to Texas football. We can't even fill a stadium with an NFL team in Southern California. And they can pack it out. They did a whole thing on this. And I used to remember, you know, I'd come back, uh, I never went to high school there, but I'd go back and you'd see, generation after generation, they'd come, they'd still be wearing their letter jackets, going to the games. They were living in the past. They'd been trapped in a prison of their own making. They weren't living in the future. They weren't even capable, potentially, and I, again, I don't, I'm not despairing, you know, it's fine, homecoming, whatever, but, and maybe I'm just envious because I didn't have a football letter jacket, I don't know, but, but I don't think so. But anyway, so they'd come back living in the past. Selective memory. Be careful. Now, the other flip side of this is that if you think back, you can also think back in pride. You, it'll, 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 it will lead you to despair or it will lead you to pride. See, but David, didn't, it didn't allow him to lead it to pride. What are we supposed to forget? I'll tell you what you're supposed to forget. Forget what lies behind. Forget the things you accomplished. You. Forget the things uh, you did. Forget the things and the, also the shame, shameful things you did. Forget it. Jesus already paid the price, and it was costly, as we saw in that worship song. It was costly for Jesus to pay the price. Forget all the shame and all the sin and all the... You can forget that. Forget that. But here's what I don't want you to forget, and here's what I want you to remember. Remember what God has done in your life. And if you begin to just... And here's what I want you to, I've got a practical call for you. I've got a practical call. I want you to begin to remember everything that God has done in your life, and I want you to begin to write it down. I want you to go back and find things, as we're going to see here in a second in Joshua. There is something so profound in this truth if you'll do it, your life, your mental health will change. You won't get trapped in the past. You know what happened with my friend when he's driving down in Macomb? All of a sudden, he's overtaken by that one song. You know what he did? He he's decided he was going to preach on that. You know what he did? He went, he went back out and found that song, and that r- song, the guy, that guy who sung it, found the writer and found out a little bit, just wanted to know everything about that song. Guess where that song came from? From a writer who lived in Macomb, Mississippi. That's a true story. And if it's not, it should be. That is a good story. How many, how many, how many songwriters do you have from Macomb, Mississippi? That's a thousand people, two, three, four thousand. I don't know how many people. I've been there. I went right through it. And I said, we are just in Macomb." I said, "Where?" I didn't know where it went. You know, the very guy. It was a. Sp- there's a spirit behind that. Be careful that you get pulled into the past and think it's, it was so much better in the. Past the way we used to do church, the way that the past the church was so great, and now look at it. You know they do worship videos. I mean, you know, I mean, just you can get so trapped in sentimentalism and go, God, what are you doing today? What have you called us to do today? What is the vision for this? Get. Get swept up in the beauty of what God is going to do in the future at Church of the Red Door, here in this valley, in this nation, in your family, in your marriage. Get swept up into that. Don't get, don't get caught in the pride of the past or in the despair. If you want to remember, remember and do it with stones. Do it with stones. What do I mean by that? Joshua chapter 4. We're going to make this fairly quick. I'm, and They're going to try to pull it up uh, on the back, but I'm just going to get to this. Guys, look, the Lord wants to release you from the the ways and the patterns in which you think that will hold you down and make you negative and judgmental and hard or shamed or brutalized or whatever just because you're thinking about the past. Don't think about the past. Forget it unless God was in it and remember then what he did. And the Bible tells us we should do this. Joshua chapter 4 you'll remember, an entire generation with the exception of two people, not even Moses, Joshua and Caleb, came through the wilderness, made it through, and then crossed the Jordan again. Or, I don't say again, but crossed a body of water again and then went into, the, went into the promised land. And the promised land, by the way, was a place where they began to really use their gifts, by the way. They began to take physical land from physical people. It wasn't a picture of heaven. The promised land is not just heaven, and not in, our, not in our analog here. The promised land is where you begin to walk into the fullness of your calling. Joshua takes them in. It's a very strange story. They get, and they, the, the priests are holding the ark, and the second their feet touch the water, it parts, just like the Red Sea did. The Jordan. And for those of you who are going with us to Israel, we'll be right there. If you want to get baptized, we'll baptize you right there in the Jordan. The, sea, the Jordan... If it parts, I'm going to freak out. But it, I'm at least baptized in it. They went in, and the priests came in with the ark, and they stood in the middle of it, holding the ark, and then all the people passed through on dry land. Now, what's also just as a sidebar note, it says that the the, the waters backed up all the way to a little town called Adam. You don't think there's any symbolic representation in that? See, when 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 the Lord does the crossing and we cross through these waters, which are always a picture of judgment, typically in Scripture, it's a picture of, I'm going to move back the waters of judgment and it's going to go all the way back to Adam. I'm going to save you. So they were there. All the people went through on dry land, which is an amazing account, by the way. And you see, the Jordan isn't that large, but it can be deep in parts. And trying to get women and children and all these people across the Jordan, especially when it's high in, the, in the harvest season and stuff, that'd be very difficult. But they did. But then he said, "Don't stop there." And then look, look, verse one. So now it came about when the nation had finished crossing the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua and he said, "Take for yourselves twelve men from the people." One man from each tribe and command them saying, take up for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. Verse six, let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask saying, uh, what do these stones mean to you? What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. So here's what I want you guys to do. Before the priests get out of the river, I want you to go and I want you to get these big stones, and I don't think they were little pebbles, they were stones. And you bring these stones, one man from each tribe, and you cross. And then wherever we go, that first night where we spend the night, I want you to put a memorial there. And then all your children and your children's children and your children's 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 children, when they come and say, what do these stones mean? Well, that was what the Lord did. That's something to remember. That's not sentimentalism. That's our mighty God. And look what he's done. And look what he did to empower your children's 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 children to say, if he did that for great-great-great-grandpa, he can do it for me. Look, we don't all have stories of our own yet. Some of you don't have very many radical, supernatural God-intervention stories. That's why you need to get involved in missional community because you'll start having stories of your own. This is important. This is why this is never going to be a place where we come and just listen to Jeff or listen to Pastor Paul or listen to somebody and then we go home. No, Church of the Red Door is very much about you being engaged and you crossing your own Jordan and beginning to take your own spiritual land that God has already given to you. Much more could be said. Now, look here all the way down to verse 21, and he said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers, in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall inform your children. I want my children to know. Saying, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Then verse 24, why? That all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord. Now, now it goes even beyond your children. See, when we begin to recount, this is where Revelation 12 verse 11 they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not even love their lives unto death. When you finally say, all right, Lord, I give you everything, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, if you want to, if you want me to, and I tell you what, if you want me to just dump my bank account and you just want me to do whatever, I know that sounds so radical, but you have to get to a position where you're just like, I'm just completely... I'm just so enthralled with your purposes. I'm so, I would risk my life. And David didn't love his life, even unto death. He was real willing to face what God had told him to do, even at the risk of his own life. Why? Because he already had testimony. He knew God was going to act. And this was just going to layer in. God was going to wipe out this uncircumcised Philistine. He didn't think, well, now I'm going to die. No, he said he's going to kill it. God's going to kill him. He's killed the lion. He's killed the bear. He's going to kill again in our name. Now, kill what? We don't kill people anymore. This was just a momentary template in the physical realm to show us how we operate in the spiritual realm. I need to say that over and over and over. So nobody runs out and says, "Jeff, talking about killing. I'm not talking about killing people. We're not trying. We're under new covenant. We're to love our enemies, bless those who curse us, right? We're to serve those who hate us. It's very different. So back in um, Psalm seventy-seven, eleven. Let me. I'm gonna read that real quick, and I'm gonna show you a little picture here. Psalm seventy-seven, eleven, and we'll wrap this thing up this morning. Psalm seventy-seven, verse eleven. Listen to what it says: "I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old." That's what you remember. Don't think about copper tone and a swimming pool. Don't think about the the guy you should have married. Don't think about the business you should have. You know, if I'd have just stuck it out with that Apple stock, I'd have been okay. But boy, I you know, I just I I. don't live in the past. It's not wise when you do it. Or don't take pride in the past. Look what we've done. Look what we've accomplished. Look at all the amazing stuff that's happened. Look, boy, I'm just so you're you're just so fortunate to be in my presence. Don't don't walk down that road either. That's just as miserable. When you look back, remember the deeds of the Lord and what he has done. Did you bring up that picture, that slide? I'm going to show you something here now that's very precious to me, and that's this right here. You say, well, that's not very impressive. It is to me. You say, what is that? That right there is the shirt I was wearing when, I, when the, the guy first introduced himself who led me to Christ. You say, Well, you were already a fellowship, you were already a Christian athlete, and you were part of the fellowship. I had no idea. (laughs) Never been to a fellowship of Christian athletes meeting, never had that. That got passed down to me from an uncle, I think, and it got, and I somehow I threw it on to run out to the store to to buy me some beer or something. That's what I probably was doing. I think I was. And a guy turned around and said, Oh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Let me tell you something. This is a stone of remembrance. I take that around sometimes, share that testimony, especially with our FCA guys. We've got a great presence of FCA. All these years later, we relaunched FCA after it was completely dormant in the valley. And uh, Laura and I had the privilege of helping find office space with Greg Solis and some others. And we housed them for a while. And now there's multiple staff guys and, and people around FCA. Riverside's grown. Now there's all these things that are going on. And we, so now we got CJ and Rob Ralph and all these unbelievable FCA people. And I think back about that shirt. I'm thinking, of, wait a minute, think about that shirt. Where'd that shirt come from? I had no I, an uncle somewhere. I wonder if that guy passing out that shirt gave that shirt out. Maybe his ministry completely failed. Said, "Man, we tried FCA. Nobody'd ever support us. We couldn't get we couldn't raise enough money." I am just speculating. Well, you know, we we did a few t-shirts and passed out some Bibles and it never really took root. I don't you know, I don't know. Where did that shirt come from? I want to know. Jesus said, "If you even give a cup of water, to one of these little ones in my name surely will not lose your word. Do you realize that everything you do in the direction of the glorification of Jesus and the expansion of his kingdom will be remembered? Someday, I believe, I'm going to meet those people. Whoever passed out that t-shirt, and I'm going to say, look what the Lord has done. See, here's what I want you to do, folks. I want you to get your stones of remembrance. Don't, e- even if you don't go back and get a physical item like this, go and write it down. I've got journals stacked high. God, I believe, spoke this. Now, some people say, what does it mean when you say God spoke? I'm reading the Word. I've never heard an audible voice, but I, I'm reading the Word or I'm praying, and there's a strong impression, and it won't let go of me like I'm supposed to do something and I need to do it, and then I'll kind of put it out of my mind, it'll come back, and then it'll come back. And I've learned to hear the voice of the Lord. I know when the Lord is speaking It's part of the having the Holy Spirit. And when that happens now, I think back, and I go, I want to act. Why? Because the look what the Lord's done in the past. He saved me out of complete despair in Houston, Texas, of all places, at a Safeway Supermarket. What an appropriate name for a supermarket for me to meet the guy who's going to lead me to the Lord, right? What are your stories? What are your stories? Don't live off David's stories. Don't live off on my stories. Don't live off the story of your wife or your husband. I had a precious friend in closing last night I spoke to, and it was actually two nights ago, and uh, it really provoked me. It was a precious woman who was a big part of this ministry, Uh, early on she never got to see any of the fulfillment of it she put in a little bit of money which it might as well have been 50 million dollars but she put in a little money when i was struggling as an independent i felt like god had said do something and god took her she died of cancer a long battle it was brutal and her and and her family fell apart and I was speaking to one of the, uh, it was actually a stepdaughter, but I was speaking to her the other night at a little get-together. And she said, you know, I think in the end that mom was the Holy Spirit for the rest of the family. That they were riding on her coattails in some way. It's not what she said, but essentially that's what she communicated. You know, she, we, we just thought mom has such a force and we were all writing on that, and it, and and we felt like we were believers, we were Christians, and we were, but we weren't having the stories that she had. We did, we weren't building our own our own memories. And as a result of that, when she died, everything fell apart. And I'm talking, really, really graphically fell apart. And um, and I spoke to her husband last night, uh, the other night on the phone, and I invited him to see CRD. He's doing, he's finally doing great and he never lost his faith but some of the kids and some of her kids it was really 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 challenging the point is don't let somebody else have their stories and you not have yours don't write on your well i go to church with my wife but you know i'll go just because she wants don't live off the stories of your wife and her bible studies and her encounters with god men you have your own encounters with god you go out, you obey, you spend time in the word. You be like King David. Then David. Then David. You fill in the story. You, you build a narrative of your life. The people on your, when you, when, they, when we're eulogizing you on your deathbed and you're doing your memorial, let us tell of the great stories that God did through your body. Don't let another day go by. And the way you get there, you start remembering now what the Lord's done in the past. And you may have to reframe it. You may have to go, yeah, I, I don't know that God's done anything. Look back over your life and see that God had not done anything. And then you start describing that and reframe that and say, oh, that was God. And I, didn't even, I didn't give him the credit for it. I'm going to give him the credit for it now. He saved me. He changed me. He introduced me to my wife. I didn't deserve her. All the women said, Amen. I've said enough. Here's what here's what I want us to do on this last worship song. Uh, giants are gonna fall if you'll obey. And it's he's the greater one, not us. Let's worship with this last song and then I'll close this in prayer.